The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Phantasmal Return of Raymond Walsh Episode 3 April 1906 Everyone screamed. They leapt from their desks. Chairs clattered to the ground. They backed into all corners of the room. One student jumped on the teacher's desk, squealing a high-pitched squeal. One girl threw open the door and ran, shrieking into the hallway. Even Mrs. Bloomsbury, whose sagging face expressed only disappointment, threw herself against the blackboard in terror. For an instant, everyone froze. The only sound was their own panicked panting. In the corner of the room, the mouse froze too. It crouched near the radiator, its furry little body as motionless as a shaving brush. Someone coughed. The mouse darted a few inches forward, and the students wailed again. Girls held each other in mortal fear, cheeks pressed against cheeks. Boys sat on desks, shoes lifted in the air. Mrs. Bloomsbury's Latin class was locked in stalemate. A pair of shoes clacked on the tile. All eyes turned to a spindly, 16-year-old girl in a starchy black dress. She strode to the corner, where a mop bucket had been carelessly abandoned. She grabbed its handle and flipped the bucket over. The girls stalked across the classroom, gripping the metal container in both hands. Elizabeth, don't! Someone breathed. What if it's rabid? Check if it's frothing, suggested a second. Mice don't froth, rebuked a third. They're too small, even if they are rabid. There's no rabies in Pittsburgh, proclaimed a fourth. Sure there is, countered the second. There was a, a rabid dog on my street six months, more like two years ago. We had to stay indoors while they called the police. Shot it dead right in the street. You're lying. I am not. The hushed argument continued, but Elizabeth Crown ignored them. She silently closed in, her face taut with concentration. She crouched low, cradling the bucket against her stomach. No one stirred. All eyes were on her. She lunged. The mouse reared, trying to turn around to escape the way it came. But the bucket fell over it, clanking against the floor. The students jumped with surprise. Elizabeth threw herself on the bucket, pressing it into the tile. Her arms wrapped around the metal cone, and her body twisted into a curly cue. Everyone spoke at once. Students yelled. Students cheered. They pointed, wrapped their desks, jumped up and down. Then Elizabeth called out, Quiet, you idiots! Someone get me a newspaper! The excitement faded. Someone found a bulky newspaper, which Elizabeth slid neatly under the bucket. She lifted them together, the way a butler holds a cloche and tray, and ordered her classmates to open a window. She released the tiny rodent, and it scurried away into the greensward of the school grounds. Behind her, someone whined, But Mrs. Bloomsbury, why can't we smash it? 
The students could hardly focus on declensions after that kind of excitement, and class was dismissed. Students blabbed to each other about the incident, recounting every second, analyzing the story for meaning, claiming what they would have done given the chance. Yet no one spoke to Elizabeth. They barely spoke of her. It was the mouse itself that stirred their imaginations. Elizabeth's daring solution was just a footnote. After all, that crown girl was an odd duck, a shy know-it-all, always sitting silently in the back, chewing her pencils. No one had even asked her to cotillion. And anyway, everyone agreed that if Elizabeth hadn't grabbed that bucket, one of the boys would have. It was just like her, stealing others' thunder. So Elizabeth was surprised that afternoon as she walked home down the empty streets of South Oakland, a half-dozen books dangling from her strap, when a male voice called out, Hey, Liz, wait up! She didn't turn, thinking she'd imagined it. But then she heard the gallop of feet, and a boy emerged at her side. He wore a tweed jacket and bow tie, and his knickerbockers ballooned around his legs. His cap had a large brim, covering his face in shadow. Say, he said, that was some trick in Latin class. Where'd you learn it? Elizabeth scowled. Where did I learn how to trap a mouse in a bucket? Is that what you're asking? Well, I mean, the boy sniffed. How'd you think of it? I, I was scared out of my head. One little varmint. You'd think a polecat got loose. Elizabeth grinned. Did you see old Mrs. Bloomsbury? Gee willikers, the boy exclaimed, emboldened by her response. I sure did. I, I thought she was going to faint. Can you imagine? The sourest teacher in school conking out over a little mouse. The boy chuckled to himself and sighed. Elizabeth could feel her own smile wilting. What else did the boy want? Did he expect her to say something more? How far would he walk with her before he went, well, wherever he was going? Anyway, that was real impressive, and, um... The boy stopped in his tracks. I don't know what you're doing tomorrow, but... I've got a game, and I don't even know if you like football, but we're playing Shenley High, and they're a good team, but I think we've got a chance, and, well, um... He laughed awkwardly, as if forgetting what he was saying. Anyway... If you wanted to come, maybe afterward we could visit a soda fountain or something. Elizabeth's heart thrummed. Never in her life had a boy asked her to do anything. She could barely see his face in the shade of his visor, but his posture was hopeful. So this is what this is like, she thought. This is what all those girls are always blabbing about. Possibly, she said slowly. I'll have to see. Oh, of course, of course, said the boy, puffing out his scrawny chest. I understand either way. See you at school? He turned and trotted off. Elizabeth wanted to leave it at that, but she felt a pang of guilt. She turned and called after him. Just one more thing. The boy halted in mid-step. Yes, anything. I don't remember your name. The boy's jaw went slack. Really? Really. We've had like five classes together. 
Algebra? Forensics? Latin? Elizabeth grimaced. It must have slipped my mind. I'm a distractible sort. The boy bit his lip, trying not to look hurt. It's Raymond. Raymond Walsh. Ah, yes, Elizabeth said, feigning recognition. Of course. Well, see you in class, Raymond. He grinned again, that warm, hopeful grin. You're one of a kind, Liz. I don't care what anybody says. You're one of a kind. And then he ran off, down the street and around a corner, gone. They never spoke again, not really. She never went to that game, never accepted his offer to the soda fountain. She avoided him in the halls, hid herself behind classmates, and even changed her route home. She wasn't afraid of him, but neither was she attracted to him. He was pimpled and unremarkable, a mediocre student with a handful of unpleasant friends. She might have said yes, and their date would be harmless. Her reputation might change, no longer an ambivalent outcast, but a regular adolescent girl. But that's what troubled her. She couldn't stomach that kind of acceptance. She couldn't be a regular girl. All she needed was for high school to end so that her real life could truly begin. Raymond was nice enough, but to say yes, it was more than she could give. And yet, in the years that followed, she sometimes thought about that afternoon, their innocent encounter in the street, his nervous request, his glimpse of admiration. Elizabeth liked the way she was. She basked in her isolated strangeness. But it was Raymond who said, You're one of a kind. And suddenly, she felt it. Someone had noticed her, approved of her, liked her in the same way that she liked herself. For a year and a half, she couldn't look at Raymond, because his compliment had overwhelmed her. Now, she could never show him affection. She didn't see him in that way. But that one statement, that one flash of unfiltered honesty, it shook her to the core. Maud was driving the car so slowly, it was hard to tell that it was moving. The wheels groaned beneath the chassis. The street was luxuriously wide, with ample sidewalks and lawns that sloped upward into doorways. Houses stood a polite distance apart, perched condescendingly above them. This opulent avenue, with its manicured hedges and shaded yards, stood only a stone's throw from Uncle Joe's diner, yet the two streets seemed to cut through different cities. It was hard to believe they ran parallel, much less intersected a few blocks down the way. "'What do you think, Raymond?' Elizabeth asked. "'Anything look familiar?' They sat in the back of the Moon 640. Elizabeth pressed into the corner of the back seat. Raymond slumped against the glass window. Raymond looked anemic and morose. Maud had thoughtfully rolled down the front window, and fresh air eased into the cab. But the car still felt confined, and its slow progress accented their claustrophobia. I just can't tell, mumbled Raymond. It looks like so many streets. Elizabeth watched the scenery scroll by. 
She didn't like to take the Moon 640 out on the road. The car had a dubious past. She'd had the hood and windows repaired, and the motor still ran like a dream. But Elizabeth had never bothered to register it, and the car technically belonged to a dead man. She couldn't drive it herself. The choke still mystified her, and Elizabeth could barely fire up the engine, much less operate it. Maud had given her some basic lessons, but they only convinced Elizabeth that she would never become a real motorist. So her assistant had doubled as her de facto chauffeur. Maud leaned into the steering wheel, resting her elbows on the polished wood ring, and cracked her knuckles one by one. It was her most girlish habit, something she did when there was nothing else to do. Elizabeth was accustomed to the pop and snap, and it no longer irked her. She might not have noticed, except that Raymond said, Martha used to do that. Both women turned to him. Elizabeth looked sideways. Maud peered into the rearview mirror. Raymond didn't seem to acknowledge this attention. He continued to gaze at the street, as languid as before. Sometimes I could hear her from the other room, he continued. I had no idea she was there, and then she cracked her knuckles. His chapped lips morphed into a pensive smile. Funny what time can do. Things that used to drive you crazy. Now I'd do anything to hear that sound. Elizabeth cleared her throat. May I ask, who's Martha? Oh, Raymond said, rubbing his cheek with dry fingers. My fiance. That is, she was my fiance. Elizabeth had no idea what to say. Was he inviting her to ask? Or was he just thinking out loud? Which was less rude, to pry into his private affairs or to ignore his public reflection? Then he resumed. Little things like that. The way I tied my necktie. The way she left her shoes in the hall. How she talked over me every time we went to her father's house for supper. All those trivial things. But they mean so much in the moment. All those petty arguments. So pointless in the end. Three years pecking away at each other. And what for? Was it so inconvenient to just love each other? Elizabeth opened her mouth to speak. She wasn't sure what she was going to say, but then Raymond's eyes widened. There. What? Elizabeth said. Raymond raised trembling fingers. There! There! Maud yelped, and the car swerved sideways. Their bodies jostled as tires hit curb. Raymond stared straight ahead, feeling along the door. He finally found the handle and wordlessly let himself out. Elizabeth did the same, leaving the door ajar. She followed her old schoolmate to the sidewalk. She found Raymond crouching in a patch of grass, hands on knees. Before him stood a tree. It was an ordinary elm planted there by some benevolent bureaucrat, nearly the same as all the other trees along this street. Its bark was coarse and gray, and its girth suggested decades of growth. But this tree was oddly shaped. It rose five feet or so, then abruptly bent. Something had stunted its vertical growth, 
a lightning strike perhaps, or a cross-cut saw. One of its branches had been promoted to a trunk. It looked like an overgrown arm, flexing over the street. This tree, Raymond panted. I, I saw it. I remember. I, I was right here. As he spoke, something caught Elizabeth's eye. She started down the sidewalk, toward a large sign. It was planted firmly in the sod, and its gold lettering was embossed in a green background. McAndrew Funeral Home and Interment Services. My God, Elizabeth thought. That's it. That's where he came from. Whatever we're looking for, it's inside that building. You've been listening to The Phantasmal Return of Raymond Walsh. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Backpack Media, LLC, and written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. Music by Naoya Sakamata and Eric Satie. If you like what you're hearing, you might also enjoy Ghost Bandits of Sonora, the latest novel in the Elizabeth Crown series. You can find it on Amazon or order it from your local bookstore. For more information about the exciting world of uncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net.